talk show for all things automotive. From the latest news to the greatest views. And the biggest names in rolling iron. Your host is Brett Hatfield, freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com. And owner of his own small but growing fleet of cool cars. Get behind the wheel of an hour of car talk starting right now. Thank you for listening to Driven Radio. We know your time is valuable, so we work hard to bring you the best in automotive content and interviews. You can listen to us online at readthedriven.com, on iTunes, Pippa, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. Please follow us on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show, on Twitter at Driven Radio Show, and on Instagram at Read the Driven. We're coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. I'm your host, Brett Hatfield, here with our other host, Vern Estes. Oh, I'm here. Wow. I, I missed you, brother. Uh, sure wish you'd made I that missed trip you with too. us while you were gallivanting across the country at the world's greatest cars events i was uh just you know chilling out here in kansas city can i note briefly for the record how much i hate southwest the airline yes why i love southwest oh, so just, cheerful just because uh, you I went have, to monterey you honestly don't complain it's tough for me i too. was in kansas city it was like a hundred and a hundred and whatever degrees here near sitting on the beach can i tell chilling you chilling out on highway one can Pebble i tell beach you Concord. how pleasant it was to be in that house on the beach with the sand and the surf and that cool breeze 24 7 meanwhile i was just here sweating uh, that's I, I invited you. I know. We had an extra bed for you. <sighs> it's disturbing. There was a place I for know. you to stay. Oh, and by the way, our intrepid engineer, Matthew Hickman. Matthew, nice to have you with us. Thank you, sir. Silent as always. Uh, this week, we got a lot of news from all the goings on in Monter- at Monterey Car Week. Uh, our returning guest is Seth Burgett of Gateway Bronco. He'll be here to talk to us about giving old Broncos a new life, Gateway being featured at uh, Gordon McCall's MotorWorks Revival in, at the Monterey Jet Center, and also uh, this really fantastic uh, new Bronco they've got, or uh, restified, resto-modded, resto-modded Bronco yeah. that they're giving away for charity uh i got to see it at uh, mccall's it really really is good looking um it's not a black 1990 but it was really cool and uh just a whole bunch of other stuff there's so much monterey to cover i don't know how well we'll never get through it it'd take four or five shows let's start here Monterey does not function within the confines of reality or no. resemble reality in any way, at it least does not, not during car week. The last time I was in Monterey, I got stuck in a traffic jam behind a 250 GT Lusso Ferrari. And uh, I also, <laughs> on the same day, one hour before that, passed Type 57 going the other direction. So I would agree that Monterey is not uh, the real world. It isn't. It's Planet Car. Mm-hmm. It's a week worth of Planet Car. And we got in on Monday. Monday night, spent Tuesday, got up early in the morning, went over and did Concours on the Avenue and Carmel by the Sea, which, good grief, is that pretty. That is mm-hmm. the prettiest little burg just about anywhere. And to have it filled with the assortment and quality of cars. If you know it's going to be a great car show when you're walking up the street, you got to park several blocks away, but the cars you're seeing parked along the curb on the way to the show mm-hmm. are better than anything you've seen at any car show all year long. So 
it almost seems to me equivalent to say that like in Kansas City, if you took every Corolla that you saw and replaced <laughs> it with a Continental GT Bentley, that uh, it would be just like that, except you're also got a smattering of 2.7 RSs and Goldwing Mercedes and Roadster 300 SLs and all the rest of it, too. Oh, and while you're at it, let's go ahead and throw in a handful of vintage Ferraris, uh, a curb-parked Bugatti Chiron in front of a... Uh, in front of a uh, restaurant, uh, there was a street parked Ferrari 275 Spider mm-hmm. that, you know, you're just walking along, you're like, oh my God, look at that. Uh, there was, I'm trying to think of all the Monterey stuff. is the only place in the world where you park a 275 Ferrari in front of a restaurant and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, what if a guy comes along with a better car and they need to move my car for it? This was parked next to a gas station. Mm-hmm. It was well, ne- right next to a gas station. Right down the street from that was one of the three 250 GT California replicas from Ferris Bueller's, one of the Modena cars. Mm-hmm. And two cars behind that was a mid-60s bright orange ESO Grifo with a really fantastic Barani wires on it. And you can't believe the stuff that is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cars that they had roll across the stage uh, when they were, you know, they, it, first of all, it was uh, one of the hosts was Donald Osborne, a guy who also writes for Sports Car Market, and I know Donald like a, a fuzz in passing, but they have cars that are rolling across the dais there, and they're talking to the owners and discussing them, and it's broadcast over a PA system. One of the cars they had roll through was a Lamborghini Mura S in bright red and in a color combo only of the Italians can get away with bright red Mura with a blue interior. Yeah. KU colors. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they had in mind. Yeah. Uh, a couple of Cobra guys you probably would have known. Mm-hmm. There was a guy in a uh, dark green street 427, you know, rear exit exhaust. Uh-huh. And a uh, 289 slab side, red with, uh, black with red interior right behind him. Just the stuff that was there was mind-blowing. And, you know, just when you think you've seen oh my lord that's that's the best thing i'm gonna see all day you go down the street another hundred yards and there's something that blows that away the problem with events like that is that you leave sometimes feeling like you didn't see much only because you had no time to appreciate every individual it's, and that's it's exactly one right. thing to another that's exactly right there was a handful of it's like walking through the collier collection in florida it's yeah. like you can't appreciate any single car because while you're there's looking so at a mclaren f1 much. there's a 250 lm across the lobby and then there's an unrestored 917 in another room just every everywhere you go there's a gurney eagle in the next room yep there's a silver arrow in barely in view with that you just feel gravitated towards yeah. monterey car week it's difficult to while you're there take it all in because there's so much and that's you're, that's spot Overload. on i mean when you're walking up and there's three ferrari 355s in a row parked nose to tail mm-hmm. with a uh, mercedes 300 adenauer uh cabrio right behind it and you just this it, that's why i say it's not reality you don't you can't process all of it it's one of the ultimate weekends for a car guy well the the whole week is just overload and by the end of the week you see a ferrari 488 and you're like oh, another one of those yeah at any other time you'd see a 488 and you go wow that's like look the, at that that's the, a ferrari 488 is like the lower middle class it really Monterey. is it's it, hilarious it's it, hilarious it really is and the the whole 
week was like that. And we started off Tuesday and we're going to be there Tuesday to Sunday. And that's the beginning of it. And it just, it reminds you, oh yeah, this is overload. This is planet car. This is not the real world. And by the time you get done with it, you're just, it, it, it takes you a couple weeks back home to process everything. Mm-hmm. And again, we were walking from the show. We'd covered everything. There's a Bugatti Chiron parked right on the stinking curb. Mm-hmm. $3 million car, just no big deal. And, you know, everybody and their mother's stopping to take pictures of it, but it's just parked right on the curb. So, uh, and that was just, uh, that was just Concours on the Avenue. There was so much other stuff and we've got tons to talk about. Coming up next, we've got Seth Burgett of Gateway Bronco. He's going to be here to talk to us about uh, some of the things they're doing and uh, the car they're giving away for charity. And we've got so much more to cover and all of it's coming up here on Driven Radio. Back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is Seth Burgett, owner of Gateway Bronco. Uh, Seth has a bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Missouri School of Science and Technology and executive certificates for MIT and Stanford in finance, strategy, and innovation. He's a seasoned entrepreneur, a global executive, and probably overqualified to be on our show. Seth, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thank you so much, Brett. Really appreciate the kind words. You've got a heck of a resume. I skipped over an awful lot because it sounds like I'm writing your uh, biography if I read it all. How does a guy with your background get interested in Shelby's and Broncos? Well, I think they're, they're kind of two parts to that question, Brett. One is the interest versus uh, getting involved building these things. Uh, Brett, I've been interested since day one uh, in Ford's, uh, generally described as a Ford loyalist, uh, brought home from the hospital in a Ford Falcon and, and been in a Ford ever since. Um, you know, through the eighties, I, um, I watched the Shelby's kind of come up in value just a bit and had an opportunity to buy a, a 67 Shelby when I was 15 in 1985. Didn't spend the $6,000. Sounds like a ridiculous number now, but, uh, I bought a $1,500 Mustang, which I still have. So the interest has been there from day one, and then it just became a passion to build cars um, through that teenage years, and that's how I worked my way through college. For the uninitiated, uh, tell us, uh, give us a little thumbnail of Gateway Bronco. Yeah, Gateway Bronco is really um, built on the premise that we're we're not a restoration shop. We're building the Bronco on an assembly line. We may be restoring the Bronco, but we're doing it on an assembly line. And so we do it with quality controls every step of the way. We do it with dedicated staff for each one of the workstations on the assembly line. And the end result is a quality system that is really mimicked from the military aircraft. Um, and, and, and what that does is it provides a, an ability to give you, the customer, a uh, three to five year bumper to bumper warranty. So how do you find the donor trucks you build? 
you know, uh, we've got a couple from Kansas, in fact, that, that reached out to us. Uh, one had been in, in a container for 25 years. Uh, another one that was an original owner vehicle. So a lot of people bring us their Broncos and said, hey, I'd like to be able to sell this or hey, I'd like to be able to restore this to your standards and, and make it a reimagined Bronco, something that's modern drivetrain but still has that classic good looks of a, of a first-generation Bronco. Before we get too much further, I want to thank you for inviting Ped and I to McCall's Motorworks Revival last week in Monterey. That was a, a heck of a gathering. How did Gateway become involved with McCall's? Well, Brad, yeah, number one, we were we were glad to have you. It was a it was a hoot to, to connect with you again. It had been a while since we had been together, and so no, that was fun. And uh, you know, Gordon McCall uh, has a great event. He reached out to us directly, and uh, he's connected uh, uh, to Ford Motor Company through personal relationships. And uh, it just became uh, an event where he's a Shelby guy. Uh, I think he's got some uh, historic Shelby race cars. I've got one, and and it became uh, kind of a perfect match to um, uh, to get together and display uh, some some unique vehicles at his show. At McCall's, you had two really stunning Broncos, and uh, <laughs> we're going to get to the blue ones soon enough, but tell us about the other truck you had there. It really was gorgeous. Oh, thank you. You know, the, the guys in the shop, they deserve all the credit. And, you know, like I said earlier, I uh, I worked my way through college doing paint and body work and just had a huge passion for restoration. Uh, and really now, later in life, I get to come back and do it for a living. So, um, you know, that red truck is kind of the perfect example. It is uh, It started life as an original paint uh, 72 Bronco. And the owner uh, of that Bronco came to us and said, hey, I want to build three Broncos for each one of my grandsons. I've got three original paint donors. Uh, do you do that work? And we said yes. And so he, he said, okay, well, build this first one for me. And let's see how it turns out. So we did. Uh, original paint Bronco, really rust-free. Uh, we put maybe floor pans in it and just a little bit of other work. And then, of course, uh, every nut, bolt, and screw is brand new. Uh, air conditioning, genuine Porsche leather, and uh, kind of the fit and finish that you saw at, at McCall's. We're speaking with Seth Burgett, founder and owner of Gateway Bronco. Now, before we get into it too deeply, you've built a beautiful Bronco for a charity fundraiser with Omaze and 87 and Running, uh, Travis Kelsey's uh, charity. What can you tell us about the organizations you're working with? Well, yeah, Travis Kelsey's organization is fantastic, right? So 87 and Running uh, really supports the underprivileged uh, in urban environments generally, and and he he's he started that foundation and works to support those folks. Um, and, and with Amaze, uh, you know, really they're, they're producing the sweepstakes so we can then, uh, have the, have the Bronco go to someone special and, and a part of the proceeds goes to Travis Kelsey's, uh, charity 87 and running. How did you come to be involved with Kelsey? Well, it really came through a maze. They approached us and and they um, they asked if we felt like there would be a a good connection with uh, with with Travis's uh, charity. And I've I've personally supported St. Jude for many years. Um, uh, I've supported uh, the Challenge Athlete Foundation. 
uh, and, and others. And I felt like, you know what? Uh, it was a good charity, good cause, and, and we jumped in with both feet and been going full throttle since then. And in getting involved with Kelsey, was it his idea to get involved with Omaze, or did you know them from uh, anything, or how did you find Omaze? Uh, Omaze came to us. Yeah, they reached out to us. They said, we love your product. Uh, we, we really enjoy that you've got a warranty. Uh, they enjoyed the fact, uh, you know, people could drive these vehicles. It wasn't uh, just a toy. It was really something people could daily drive if they wanted to. And uh, they thought it was a good match. And so, you know, we, we did some due diligence. And Amaze is a great, great organization, first-class organization. And um, it's been nothing but success since then. So with the giveaway, oh, I know that it's uh, through Omaze, uh, you donate a certain amount of money and you get so many chances to win the Bronco. What's the ultimate goal for the giveaway and how much do you anticipate earning for charity? Well, you know, the the ultimate goal for the giveaway is, you know, the, the, the proceeds going to 87 and running. And so, um, you know, the other side of that is awareness. So the awareness is getting as many people as possible um, to see Travis talking about his charity and, uh, and and making people aware of that. So there's a light after the sweepstakes that continues to give to Travis's uh, uh, charity, 87 Running. Now, how much is it going to raise? You know, we don't know. Uh, all we know now is it's breaking all records. Um, it is, uh, you know, in terms of the Bronco that is uh, 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 being given away and and the, the charity so far uh, has received more funds than I think just about any other program at this stage. And we have, I think, 69 days, oh no, uh, 39 days left, 39 days left in the uh, in the program. And so we think the charity is going to do really, really well. And uh, we're excited for that. Okay. Now down to what I've been interested to talk about the whole interview, man, did that blue Bronco look good. The paint on that was <laughs> stunning. Uh, take your time. Give us all the details. Tell us everything about that blue Bronco. Well, you know, Brett, the, the blue Bronco, um, the paint is right out of the booth. So, you know, the people, the thing people don't realize over and over again is that's how our, our paint looks right out of the booth. And that's without any cutting and buffing. That's uh, just as it looks out of the booth, it gets assembled. And uh, there you go. So um, your quality control standards provides a big part of uh, that quality that you see, but it's also the, the skill of the individuals that are just focusing on one thing. So we've got one painter predominantly. We've got one individual who dedicates all of their time to, uh, you know, assembling of the panels at the final assembly. So, uh, that, that quality system works, but the Bronco itself is really, it's not a charity vehicle. It's, uh, it, it goes to support Alzheimer's and, um, Ryan Blaney, NASCAR driver, Penske driver, Ford driver, uh, the top 10 race car driver, but he's also the most liked individual, I believe, in, uh, in NASCAR. Uh, just a super nice guy, genuine guy. And his grandfather was, uh, was impacted, uh, and, and ultimately passed away from Alzheimer's. And so, you know, Ryan's been a really lucky driver. I think it was only one race, one race, and he made it into Penske. So he was, you know, he has lived a kind of a perfect uh, life as a race car driver so far. 
where he did one race and he got a ticket with Penske. So he feels very fortunate and, and he is using this vehicle to give back. And so top line, uh, the Bronco will be auctioned off for charity at Barrett Jackson Scottsdale in January, 2020. Uh, but, but at the same time, uh, we get to put it on display and show people kind of how special the vehicle is and, uh, uh, you know, that it, that the proceeds from this auction are going to go to, um, uh, the Alzheimer's Association. So that, that's kind of the backstory of the vehicle. My mother-in-law has just been diagnosed, uh, this year with Alzheimer's. So it was a personal connection there. And so that's the reason why we're building it. Now, the Bronco itself, uh, you know, it's supercharged with the same technology as the new GT500, uh, the new Shelby GT500. I don't know if Fern knew that, but oh, yeah. it's, uh, you know, <laughs> cars. It's, uh, you know, it should be adequate for a, for wheel. what a 3200 pound truck that should be uh should be just it'll be it'll be a sporty ride Good. and so uh you know the the ride uh the ride quality comes from uh you know a four-leg suspension fox racing shocks and uh you know sport tune for the highway in fact, um, in in uh, Labor Day weekend, it will be the pace car for Darlington, and so Ryan will will give uh, a handful of really lucky folks uh, drive around Darlington in this Bronco. Uh, can't say they're going to be doing 200 miles an hour, but they'll uh, they'll take a spin around the racetrack, and um, it is tuned for that kind of uh, highway experience. So you've got a stable platform and a fun fun kind of sport suv if you will seth thanks for taking the time we really appreciate it we've been speaking with seth burgett of gateway bronco you can find seth on facebook you can find gateway bronco omaze and travis kelsey and 87 and running all on facebook twitter and instagram as always you can find there are a ton of links i'm just going to put them all up on the website you can find them on www.readthedriven.com uh coming up next we have more monterey coverage and exit lane live here on driven radio Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. We would need a month worth of shows to cover all the crap that happened at Monterey, so I want to hit a few highlights and see what we can squeeze in. Okay, first things first, the botch 1939 Porsche, I'm using the quotes here, Porsche mm-hmm. Type 64 auction at RM Sotheby's. Confounding. Annunciation is very important. It is extremely important. As we found out this past weekend, <laughs> more important than anything else, that uh, now I feel for the auctioneer. I really do. Mm-hmm. I feel for the entire company. Well, yeah, true, true. The auctioneer, as I understand it, is a, 
a Dutch gentleman who speaks English pretty well. And quite a few other languages also. So I understand. He started with the bidding out of the gate at what sounded like $30 million, $30 million. Mm-hmm. It quickly went $30 million five. And then forty million, as in thirty million five hundred thousand, right? And then forty million, which should have been a red flag for anybody, because nobody jumps a bid nine and a half million dollars. No, it doesn't really matter who you are. And then forty, maybe they would do that one time if you were one of the wealthiest car collectors in the world and you wanted to, yeah, but it eliminate went, competition in one bid. But it went, but it did it three times. Thirty point five. To 40. To 40. To 40.5. To, to 50. 50 to 50.5. All the way to, to 60. 70. All the way to $70 million. Now, if you've watched it, Ped and I were watching it live. Mm-hmm. When you watched it live, first of all, you could hear everybody in the room gasp with each new bid. Sure. Because everybody, you know, once it once it crossed the 40.5 to 50, that makes it the most expensive car ever sold at auction, period. Mm-hmm. It eclipses that 250 GTO LM that went last year for 44. Sure. And everybody in the room was, oh, my God. And then... 50, 50 and a half, 60, 60 and a half, 70. And at that point, the auctioneer turns around, looks at the board and says, oh, no. Oh, not 70 million, which if you listen to him, it sounded for all the world like 70 million. Mm -hmm. He said 17, one, seven million is what I am bid. Yeah. And you could hear it. You could hear the room. The air was let out of the room you know, like we it was coming out of a balloon. Earlier in this podcast, we talked about how Monterey is not the real world. And Monterey is where crap like this can happen. What's hilarious is that you could feel, even watching the replay, the complete devastation of oh, the room. Oh, yeah, it was somebody crushing. somebody was only bidding $17 million as opposed, on as opposed an to automobile. 70, yeah. 70 million. $17 million, though, for the record, is quite a bit of money. But Monterey is so bizarre. And per cylinder, it's probably pretty <laughs> close. It's probably pretty close per cylinder to the world record for a car sold at auction. Yeah. Yeah. It is actually. Well, but times it by 3. If you if you back that out though, it would have been more than any other car sold at auction and and any Porsche. And like surely. oh, yeah, it, it was it was the world record. It was going to be the world record by Porsche. like 4 or 5 by at a public auction, yeah, by yeah. a significant amount of money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the world record Porsche right now is uh, 15 and change. Mm-hmm. For what, a, a Golf 917? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh, the McQueen 917. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when it went 30, 40, 50, it, everybody in the room was going nuts. And, and when he corrected to 17 million, 17. it let the air out of the room. You heard groans <laughs> and you heard something I've never heard at a car auction before. You heard the auctioneer get booed. Boos, yep. I've never heard anybody get booed like that yep. and they backed it down to 17 million and it showed 17 million on the board and they sat there for a few minutes trying to get the 17 million out of it or trying to jump from 17 up and then no sale and it no sale and it, i'm guessing it probably should have been enough to buy the car regardless well, well it really should have been in pre-sale auction estimate if i remember correctly was supposed to be 18 to 22 so i'm guessing mm-hmm. it was pretty darn close 
but still, uh, for that few minutes of time when it went 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, even euphoria, Ped and I were high fiving mm-hmm. at 50. Because we knew that was the most expensive car at auction ever. Mm-hmm. And when it went 70 to 17, we looked at each other and thought, oh, no, what happened? So I don't know if the auctioneer is looking for a job or the guy running the big board was looking for a job or if there are several people looking for a job. But, oh, my goodness, did that deflate everything. That mm-hmm. absolutely killed that sale. As if the car was already surrounded by quite a bit of controversy. That's the oh, last thing yeah. Well, the Porsche Museum disavowed it as being the oldest Porsche saying it's a modified Volkswagen mm-hmm. for starts and you know the museum said that because they said they have the oldest Porsche 48 356 variant mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know that might be self-serving for the museum sure I, I don't and leading up to the auction, you could have made the argument that perhaps uh, they were downplaying the car's importance because they intended to purchase it back. Sure, sure. But uh, well, they could have done it at seventeen, but they that car there. didn't need any more controversy. And then it, uh, and then the antics for that auction app, which I feel for the company. I mean that, that it's an easy mistake to make, and it was uh, an embarrassing mistake for the auctioneer. But overall, and, the auctioneer seems like a good guy. And, well, and, and that, RM is a good company. That so. was probably the most public. Uh, no. or, or that the, was the headline car of the entire week. It was. It absolutely and, and, was. And in result, you know, that's the biggest week for auctions in the world. It is. So that is kind of the focal point. Well, yeah, it was the shining diamond of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Just think if it actually had sold for $70 million, we'd be viewing the results from Monterey in a much different light. That oh, sale I'm, total would look much better. I, I'm I'm pretty sure everybody <laughs> at RM Sotheby's would have had a massive party around that. Sure, yeah. $70 million, mm-hmm. good grief. When we saw that on the board, and we were watching it it just it was unbelievable and you the electricity in the room was fantastic you sh- you could hear people gasping and you could hear the excitement and everything else and then when they corrected it it was 180 degrees the other direction sure. uh it just really really stunning that it went that way uh, as long as we're talking about most expensive things sold last week 1994 McLaren F1 mm-hmm. and LM spec and Le Mans spec 19.8 18 million in the vig and under estimate at that under price, estimate which is amazing well but you could make an argument that there's a pretty there's a fair chance that we will look back on that sale and think down hmm, the road someplace that was a bargain. Do you think that the uh, the McLaren F1 is the second coming of the Ferrari 250 uh, GTO? There's a lot of people that think that. In fact, you might be able to make the argument that the McLaren F1 is a more special car. Possibly, you could say. I think that the way that I would break that down is, you could say a 250 GTO is perhaps one of the most beautiful cars ever manufactured. And I it mean, is. in a group of maybe four or five cars, it, it is. But the I, McLaren F1, from a technical perspective, is, is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's uh, it's maybe the greatest car of all time. It, uh, I maybe. Have, I mean, there's there's probably 10 different cars that are in that conversation, but other cars are maybe not as exciting from a spec perspective. But No, from, car, a, from a technical pers- perspective. It was truly the last car that you could drive to Le Mans and win in an almost stock form. 
Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much difference between a McLaren F1 race car. Now, now you've got Porsches and Audis and... But everything uh, is purpose-built. Everything else, yeah, the, there, are these, there are these crazy prototypes that share nothing in common with a production car. That was one of the, the last cars that could win Le Mans as, a, as at least being based on the street car, and there really wasn't much difference. In fact, the race cars, from my understanding, had so much aero that they were far slower top speed than a street car so there's an argument to be made there it's uh you know arrow uh, just mean downforce versus top speed just mean to say that the road car was of the same sort of performance that the lamont car was yeah well and and again one of the last cars you could drive to the track Mm -hmm. race at the track and then turn around and drive home sure so uh but 19.8 was the high sale for the week which you know really pales in comparison to last year's 44 uh without the uh without the 19.8 embarrassing (laughs) so ridiculous it's such a ridiculous world we live in 20 million dollar car good grief okay here's one that's in 1994 anyway go on here's one that's in your wheelhouse the 65 ford gt prototype Mm -hmm. sold for 7.65 million and it it was not a race prepped or raced car it was the prototype and it had a it was in it was an open car it was in the specification it was one of four spiders it was in the specification originally delivered which makes it look more like a street car it was raced but not the spiders were never raced to huge success like the later coupes were that sure. car was a highly original example it was bought by the larry h miller collection it's going to be from what i understand it's already been delivered to boulder well so. and then and it didn't have the solid race rotation that the closed cars and everything right. else uh, but of of all the gt40 variants like if i had the means and could have any variant i would think that a Mark One Roadster, one of the four like that car, or like, for example, the car that Dana Meek owns that he also tried to sell this weekend in Monterey. Yeah. Those might be at the top of my list. Well, and, you know, at 7.65, that makes it one of the top three most expensive Ford GTs ever auctioned. Sure. Ever. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. Shelby. Yes, sir. What are the other two? Uh, there would be the Holman and Moody uh, third place car, and there would be uh, the Golf liveried. Uh, ironically, the Golf liveried car that was the Lamar camera the car. The Mark II. That would be the third best Golf liveried car in the world, but it still was the highest selling Ford GT in history. Now, now you're talking about auction results. Yeah. Now yeah. off off no, mic we could talk no, 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 about no. private sales. The private sales all day there long. Are private sales that have been and a lot of much those different to those numbers. And a lot of those wind up being kind of speculative because sure because it's only if you're two not people know the deal. Then you're kind of getting secondhand or thirdhand information. But there, Ford GTs are still wildly undervalued compared to other cars. Well, it's always to, been that way in the Ford world. Daytona coupes are a fraction of GTOs. Ford GTs are a fraction of the Ferrari race cars that they just beat the shit out of. Excuse the language but they just did it they just they just beat yeah. the heck out of them and yet they're and they're rarer by the way yeah and they're valued at small fractions uh, true true and we may be seeing that change now i th- it's way overdue sure hope so it's way overdue it might change uh november 15th and later <laughs> when the world gets exposed <laughs> to those cars i mean the world's been exposed to ferrari through formula one racing for a long time hey i've already mentioned we need to organize a watch party to go see that movie mm-hmm. and we're gonna do it all righty uh, we've got a whole lot more Monterey news coming up when we come back. Mr. Vern, we got tons of stuff to talk about, and we'll be right back to talk about all of it here on Driven Radio.
Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. All righty, Vern, aside from the sales and all the weird crap that went on, and we mm-hmm. we got a couple of cars that we didn't talk about that I wanted to talk about. Uh, one of them was the James Bond at Aston Martin, sure. one of the James Bond DB5s from, uh-huh. uh, from Goldfinger and Thunderball, uh, one of the promotional cars, sold at 6.38 with the VIG, and that was six times the value of a regular DB5. Sure. Which isn't a cheap car to start with. What I find so interesting about that sale, the classic car market is so, uh, I wouldn't say unpredictable, but so interesting because, you know, a McLaren F1 is $19.5 million, 19.9, whatever you want to call it. It was 18 and then the VIG. It... Now, I think that that car could be called a bargain in the future, but not right. this right Aston now. Martin is, from a from an iconic point of view, yes. is at the very crest. I it mean, is. it's, it's it as is. high as it but goes. Remember, remember, there are certain things that drive our world. This is mm-hmm. the world we live in. One of the things that drives the world is, okay... How beautiful is it? The the design, uh, you know, what which house did it, did it come from? Pininfarina or Gia Check. or where did it come from? It's got all that. Uh, another thing is technical prowess. Now that's the that's the that's the McLaren. McLaren. F1 that's the F one. The DB five. All of that stuff. But there's a third factor now. You can't deny that the collector car world is mostly guy driven. It is almost entirely and guys. Who is the ultimate guy? And, yeah, that's right. Sean who, Connery. Who's, who's the coolest guy? Sean Connery, well, Sean Steve C- McQueen, Paul Newman. And, it's a short list. And newer version, an argument could be made for Daniel Craig playing Bond. Mm-hmm. James Bond. It's James Bond. Oh, yeah. All of us want to be that smooth, that cool, know everything, not have just that James confidence. Bond. It's the Sean Connery James Bond. Well, it is a Sean Connery James Bond. That's the Bond. ultimate. But also, again, Daniel Craig started driving the DB5 again in the last couple of Bond movies. Think about this. This past week at Monterey, Dana Meekum reveals that they will be selling the Bullet Mustang. Yep. Now, there is two in existence. One is questionable. One is not. This is the one that is not questionable. Well, one is the, the Mexican the one. The car that was found in Mexico, right? And that's the stunt car. Yeah. This is the hero car. This is the car that was in most of the filming. And lots and of documentation behind that. Largely unmessed with. And so that car, from what I have heard is being estimated right now at five to seven million dollars. Are they really saying five to seven? I saw something that said three and a half. You could make an argument or five, three to five. I'm sorry, three to five million dollars. You could make an argument that so that car as a 390 GT Mustang. Yep. Is a fifty to sixty thousand dollar car at the end of the rainbow. If it's in really, really good shape. If it's really nice. Yeah. Three to five million dollars. DB5. What's well, a DB5 right now? But wait, 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 wait. Back up. Remember we talked about highest-selling Porsche a little while ago, and mm-hmm. it was the McQueen 917. Oh, the, the Bullet Mustang, even if it vastly underperformed the estimate that Meekum has put on it, is will still be still a monster. If it sells for two, it'll be the most expensive Mustang in Ever. history, and it will have sold for a million dollars under the estimate, well, which it won't. And I think it'll exceed the estimate, if I had to guess. And again, it's got McQueen's stamp on it. It is. You could argue... 
people argue there's well there's a lot of cars that are in the argument or not a lot but a few the db5 is there sure from james bond the McQueen bullet car is there, and the JFK assassination limousine are maybe three of the most famous cars of all time. Well, in the JFK assassination limousine, I watched that sell at Barrett a few years back, and that has a really ghoulish factor to it. It's mm-hmm. kind of, it's a little creepy. Mm-hmm. It's a little creepy. Now, I'm not arguing best known because everybody saw it. The bullet Mustang, though, is... <laughs> You could make a pretty good argument might be the most famous car in history. Possibly. And so it's not even really valued as a Mustang. And in result, I don't think no. the DB5 from uh, from James Bond should be either. I think that that car seems reasonable. It, it's cra- I could never afford such a thing. So it's so well, silly for me to say that. But I think that that car seemed, and best of my knowledge, other stuff seemed like a bargain. There were only two or three. Yeah, two or three. One of them disappeared from Florida years and years ago. Uh, There's speculation that it wound up in the Middle East someplace, Mm -hmm. but nobody can verify. There's a huge reward for its return. But again... Uh, no one's found the car. So that leaves this one as and the then they sold, sold another re- one. Uh, yeah. Sold another one or it was destroyed. I, I do not remember the lineage on the third one. So this is the sole remaining James Bond DB5. Mm-hmm. A lot of other DB5s probably sold behind the idea that it was the same car that James Bond drove without being the car. Mm-hmm. This is the car. Yeah. So, 6.9. Uh, $13 million less than a McLaren F1. That's just another McLaren F1. 6.38 all in. Oh, my goodness. What an unbelievable sale on an Aston. And whoever owned this, I'm not sure who owned that, had to be absolutely thrilled to death about it. Sure. Uh, you know, for going for six times what your average DB5 Yeah, was. but it's just that car goes, and cars like that go so far beyond what they actually are, like physically, you know. Well, that again, car's not a DB5. Well, and again, we talked about it uh car week is not reality no this is so far beyond if this you is, collect aston martins or you collect james bond memorabilia in either in either stratosphere uh that car would be the top oh that's a crown jewel mm-hmm. uh, other no, than carol shelby's of course carol shelby's law yeah. winning 59 dbr1 but yeah but for db5s let's not focus completely on shelby's okay for db5s that's it Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to all of Monterey and just how surreal it was, you know, uh, Tuesday we had Concord on the Avenue and we grabbed media creds from Pebble Beach. Wednesday, uh, Ped went to the RM Sotheby's preview and I was at Russo doing auction coverage. Ped also went to the little car show and then uh, we grabbed a quick bike, got cleaned up and went to the McCall's thing at the, at the Jet Center. Oh my good Lord. Uh, Did you buy an airplane? <laughs> Uh, no, can't quite swing one yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing they had there anyway. Um, it was like the movies. Yeah. It was just so... Uh, you walk into that party and you just feel like a villain from the movies. Oh, I... I Only villains should have parties quite like that. Absolutely. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, Thursday, I was back over at Russo, and then uh, th- uh, Ped went to the Pebble Beach Tour d'Elegance, got amazing pictures from that, and then we split early in the afternoon we got invited to the maserati 2020 product rollout Mm -hmm. and it was over the quill the setting there looked like it had been painted it was 
so gorgeous and so beautiful and you just couldn't believe it was real. It was amazing. Not to mention the cars were a lot of fun. Uh, and then Thursday, we, uh, no, that was Thursday. Friday, I finished up Russo. Uh, Ped went to Pe- to Pebble Beach Retro Auto, and we got a little bit of a breather in the evening. Saturday, we had the Lundquist breakfast. I'm going to talk to you about that later. That was so Mm-hmm. Again, that just one of those things where you're standing there and you're going, this isn't real. Then we went to my favorite thing at Car Week all week long, the Concours de Lemons over at Seaside City Hall. Mm-hmm. It is the car show that doesn't give a damn. They're, <laughs> they're going to have the weird, the bizarre, the ugly. It was a little strange scene, a 55 DeSoto Fire Dome rolling around on an F-250 chassis, jacked up with four, you know, big four-wheel drive and it sounds good. so many other strange things there. And then we went from there to Exotics on Broadway. Again, want to talk about just not being within the confines of reality. Ped last week met Horatio Pagani twice. <laughs> what are the odds? Yeah, not bad. And we got to run into Wayne Carini at the Jet Center thing. And the guy who was doing the presentation at the Lundquist Breakfast is a guy I went to Mac with 15 years ago. Ped knew him by reputation. I said, let's go see him. Walk over there. Hammond turns around. Hi, how you doing? You know, big eyes and big hugs and all that stuff. And just the whole week was just bizarre. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the week, as much as I love Monterey and everything that goes on there, it was kind of like your fourth day in Vegas. You want to sit alone in a quiet room and drink a glass of milk and not have anybody talk to you. Oh, yeah. It was, it was overload, and mm-hmm. I'd had enough. So uh, I was really grateful to come home. Sunday was, uh, you know, Pebble Dawn Patrol and everything else. But we are flat out of time. We'll have to cover all this stuff later. There was so much that went on. I took 3,000 pictures last week. Yeah. Jeez. I don't know how many Ped got. I'm sure it's a bunch more. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And we'll be talking about this stuff for weeks. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to Driven Radio. We love our audience. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without you. Uh, you can find us online at readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show, on Twitter at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I'm Brett Hatfield for Vern Estes and Matthew Hickman. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. We'll be right back.